You know, all too often, Christians walk around looking defeated and angry and, and all of these other kinds of things. And I think there's a couple reasons for that. One, they get their eyes off of the Lord and onto the world. And sometimes they forget just how awesome and powerful our God is. And that we're not waiting one day for the victory. We already got it because we've already defeated death. And it's just a matter of we have eternal life. It's not life, death, life. It is eternal. So I think sometimes when people get upset at church, they leave. And then they just kind of do their own thing and they forget. So one of the, the great benefits of worshiping together is to encourage one another and to worship and to hear the music that we sing and praise that then reinforces our determination that he walks beside me day by day. We're looking today in our message in John chapter 8, starting with verse 12. Um, I will briefly tell you I'm skipping the first 11 verses in chapter 8, because if you'll notice in your Bibles, probably you'll see brackets. And those brackets say that there are uh, some of the earlier manuscripts don't have this narrative in it. Since I'm not bright enough to know whether it belongs there or not, I don't want to be accused of teaching that which is there. It's a, it's a wonderful story. And if it isn't true, it probably could have been. But um, as we've seen in James, the teacher is held to a much stricter account. So I don't want to go on the, so you can read it and determine for yourself whether it goes there. In verse 12, it's a continuation of the fact that Jesus is in Jerusalem celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, also known as the Feast of Booths, also known as Sukkot, is one of the three times a year that all Jewish males were, if at all possible, were required to attend. Uh, Jesus came up not publicly, not in the sense of like he will when he comes at uh, the appropriate time in Passover and what we call uh, Palm Sunday. But he comes because the Jewish re religious leaders are more and more intent on getting rid of Jesus because they view him as a threat. And so they're seeking to kill him and to arrest him. And none of their plans thus far have materialized. And even when they send out officers to arrest him, they don't. Um, because it's not yet Jesus' time. So he's continuing to teach. And in verse 12, he says, Then Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. Now, during the time of Jesus' uh, earthly ministry, when the Jews would celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, as we saw last week, one of the elements of that festival was the pouring of water and the understanding that God had provided water for them as they wandered through the wilderness. And that Jesus had cried out that he was the water of life and that all that came, come to him would have rivers 
of waters flowing through them. Another ceremony that was done was the light festival, uh, calling into remembrance when God would lead them by a pillar of fire at night so that they could see as they made their journeys. And in this celebration, what they would do is they would, uh, the, the best way I can describe it is if you would think of floodlights at a stadium, they would have these large poles and they would place oil. And for wicks, they would use the worn out uh, tunics of the priests. And so it was said that the light was so great in Jerusalem that there was not a corner in any courtyard that the light did not shine. And so using this both backdrop of the light illuminating and the historical aspect of God providing light, Jesus says something very significant. He says, I am the life. Now Jesus will at seven various times use the I am statement specifically. He's used it previously when he said, I am the bread of life. And now teaching, he's saying, I am the light of the world. He's not just the light of the Jews. He's just not the light of Gentiles. He is the light of the whole world. He is the one that shows us where things are. We get so used to light that there's even a, we even have a term in, in the cities called light pollution. You can't see the vastness of the stars in the skies because there's so much light even when you're out in some dark area because there's still some kind of light generating. And we don't appreciate just how dark darkness can be. And when you're in darkness, you can't see where you're going. There's a, a saying that says, I can't even see my hand in front of my face. And Jesus is saying, I am the light that provides, that knocks away darkness. And John uses, as well as Jesus, the example of darkness being evil in people's lives and light being what God does. For after all, it was even in the creation, God spoke first, let there be light. And then he separated the light and darkness. So we see that God is like, and Jesus is saying, I am. Going back to when Moses asked God at the burning bush, well, when I go to your people, they're going to ask me, what's your name? And God says, my name is I am that I am. So Jesus is pointing out that I am the light. I am God. I am that I am. I am not like light. I am light. I am the creator of light. I am the author of light. And this light not only provides direction, but this light provides life. I am the light of the world, and he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have Notice he didn't say direction, the light of life. By following him, we have eternal life, that light that shows in, and that light that, that gives us direction. One of the ways we know when it is God speaking 
is because he has given us that light of life that we see that it's not darkness. So the Pharaoh said to him, you are testifying about yourself and your testimony is not true. Now they're using the legalism and saying, well, in order to prove a case, you have to have the testimony of two or more witnesses. Now, they're not accurate. They say your testimony is not true because you give the testimony. You can still be truthful in your testimony. It's simply not corroborated. So in a court of law in the Jewish sense, you cannot prove your case based on the testimony of one. But it doesn't mean the testimony of one isn't accurate. It's just that, sorry, you haven't proved your case because you need two or three witnesses. So they misquote the law because they said he's not accurate because it's not true. And Jesus answered and said to them, even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. Jesus, I know my origins and those origins is God. I'm God. I am. And I know where I came from and I know where I'm going back to. I know those things. None of us here, we all know that we were born. And we have some evidence that says who our parents, because we have a birth certificate. But you were too little to know if they're lying to you. As a matter of fact, some children who are adopted, their parents never tell them they're adopted, and they assume that their parents are their birth parents. Jesus is kind of saying, wait, you don't know where you came from. You're having to assume that I know where I came from. I came from heaven, and that's where I'm going back to. Jesus says, for I know where I come from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. Because they don't know. He's just saying, I know me. I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. But you don't know where I came from, and you don't know where I'm going. You don't even know who you are yourselves. You judge according to the flesh. I am not judging anyone. Jesus confirmed. Remember, he told Nicodemus, I did not come into the world to condemn the world because the world is condemned already. Jesus' earthly ministry here is not to condemn us of our sins, but to save us from our sins. When he comes back a second time, he will be the judge. And he will determine all that is correct. But not now. I am not judging him. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For I'm not alone in it, but I and the Father who sent me. For even in your law, it has been written that the testimony of two men is true. So he's saying, in your courtroom, if two men testify, now in, in this Culture, notice that two men, he's using it specifically because women were disqualified from testifying. Their, their testimony wasn't true, which is one of the reasons why we know that the Gospels are true related to Jesus' resurrection. Because the first people who witnessed the resurrection were women. 
And if you wanted to prove that Jesus rose from the dead and you were making it up, you would say women showed up because they wouldn't qualify. I am he who testifies about myself. Now, he's not necessarily using the I am as he did in the first one. He said, I am the light. But I kind of think that he's using the plan words to say, yeah, I am God and I am the one who testifies about myself. So you say two men to prove things. I am he, I am God. And the father who sent me testifies about me. So I have two witnesses who are above men. They're God. So they were saying to him, where is your father? You see, they're thinking, well, his father, Joseph or somebody else. But he's saying, no, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. One of the problems that people have is they don't understand. And it's hard for us to communicate that while Jesus is the son of God, he's also the father. And the father is also the son. We, are, we worship one God in three persons. Whenever we try to describe that, we become heretics. Again, one of the things that, that is a proof point of the scriptures, because there is a concept that no human can understand. One and yet three, three and yet one. But notice, Jesus didn't say, you know, if you'd have gone to Sabbath school, You'd understand all this about me, but you messed and messed up. He goes, no, no. If you don't know me, you don't know the Father. If you don't know the Father, you don't know me. It's a relationship. It's knowing who he is because the Father sent him and he is the I am. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. So you notice they want to get rid of him. There's this opposition. And one of the reasons why Jesus limits his ministry in Jerusalem is because of the opposition and his time not having come. But he there goes to minister in Jerusalem when appropriate. Then he said again to them, I go away and you will seek me. And, and you will die in your sin. For I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself. Will he? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. Now, I don't mean to be unkind. But this shows how dumb these guys are. Because the, multiple, the, the, the question to ask isn't where you're going. 
It's your dying in your sins. Because their concept was, if you follow the law, you're God's. And if you don't, you're a sinner, you're not. And Jesus is saying, you guys who quote-unquote follow the law are going to die in your sins. So to me, the argument ought to be that, not where he's going, is he going to kill himself and whatever, which you would think, since they're trying to kill him, they'd be happy with. They're going to, he's going to take care of himself, he's going to kill himself, so we don't have to do it. Again, all too often people ask or discuss the wrong question. And he was saying to them, you are from below and I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. A bumper sticker. There's a whole company that has t-shirts that says, not of this world. And I wish it were more true. Because all too often, we who are believers tend to be no different than the rest of the world. We are so seduced by it that there's little difference between being of this world and not being of this world. But Jesus says, I'm not from here. I'm from above. My origins are not, were not here. My origins were heaven. I'm going back to heaven. I came because the Father sent me. Therefore, I say to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. You see, Jesus goes right to the point. He doesn't talk about where I'm going and whatever. He's going, you guys don't have a clue to begin with. But I came to tell you that I came to give you life, that you might be forgiven of your sins. But in order to do that, you must believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Otherwise, you will die in your sins. Now, when we try to tell our friends and families that Jesus is the only way to heaven, they believe that we are very narrow-minded. Well, if I am narrow-minded, it's because Jesus, my Lord and my Savior said, there's one way. And that's through him. And if he is from above, and he is, and he is the son of God, and he is, and he came to save me from my sins, and he did, then maybe I ought to listen to him. It would be the same thing as if I was lost in the highway and I broke down as the typical man who does never ask for directions and pulls over and asks somebody for directions. And he actually has something that says that he lives 
where it is. And he says, if you go this way and you go three blocks and you turn right and you go one block and you turn left, and, and he gives me really good directions. And I say, thank you. Then I head in the opposite direction. You would think I was stupid because I asked for directions to get to where it is I want to go and then didn't follow the directions. Jesus says, you want to get to heaven? You got a problem. The problem is sin. I'm talking to religious establishment. No matter how religious you are, you ain't going to heaven. No matter how much you think you follow the law, you ain't going to heaven because one violation of the law means you violated it all. So Jesus says, I am, and he will say it later, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. He's giving us directions. So to say that I'm narrow-minded because I'm following the directions of the Son of God who gave me directions to heaven means I'm just being right. I've shared this before, and I will share it again. I was in law school, and I was more, I tend to be a loner, although I did have a few friends that would hang around and whatever. And there was one uh, fellow law student, and... Uh, he said, Joe, you're, you're such a reasonable person. I took that as a compliment. And he goes, except when it comes to this, Jesus is the only way thing. And then he goes, then you're just no longer reasonable. And my response was, if I decide to call this black, and you and I agree to, that this is black, you know, we could call it blue, we could call it green, we could, we could call it any color you want. But once we come to the conclusion that that's the color black, to me it's no longer unreasonable to call it black. It's being accurate. And if Jesus is the only way to the Father, if he's the only way to the truth, to the life, then it's simply being accurate, not unreasonable. I didn't set the rules. If I set the rules and I died for you, they'd be a whole lot different than Jesus's. I'd probably make you push a peanut down the 405 freeway at rush hour. You know, except for the people I really liked, and then I'd give you a special dispensation. And some of you that I didn't like, I'd say, not only got to do it at rush, rush hour, you got to do it in front of a semi. But I don't make the rules. He did and does. Therefore, I say to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they were saying to him, who are you? They're just confirming what he said. You don't know who I am. Because if you knew who I am, you knew who the father was. If you knew who the father was, you knew who I am. And Jesus said to them, what have I been saying to you from the beginning? Not just from the beginning of this conversation, but from the beginning of my ministry. What have I been saying? I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. 
Listen, you're having a problem with the initial teaching. The simple initial teaching is, I am that I am, and that I am sent me to you. If you can't get over that, how can I teach you other things? But what I do speak and what I do preach, I do because it's the Father that tells me to do so. They did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. And I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me and has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Now we claim to be believers. We claim to be Christians, which means little Christ. But notice Jesus says, I always do what pleases the Father. How often do we decide to do things that please the Father as opposed to pleasing us? Jesus does what he does to please the Father. And that means even to the point of death on the cross. Because even in his prayer, he goes, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. And when you think, as we do, about how difficult sometimes it is to be a believer in this world. And we wonder about, well, it isn't fair. It isn't right. Why do they treat us this way? When you think about Jesus, what did he get out of going to the cross? You and me, wasn't worth it. He went to the cross because it pleased the Father. For God so loved the world that he sent Jesus that we might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus didn't go to the cross to benefit himself. He did it because that's what the Father wanted of him, and that benefit is us. That grace applied to us. As he spoke, these things, many came to believe in him. You see, Jesus is still have, even when there is opposition, Jesus is having converts. And sometimes, oftentimes, the greatest way to conversion is opposition. Some of the countries 
that opposed Christianity the most seems to have the most revival happening because there is opposition and you have to be willing to place it all on the line for him. For us, we can serve him today. We can serve him tomorrow. We can wait till next week because we have great freedom. But Jesus always did what pleased the Father. But the first step for us to believe the Father, to believe that Jesus is the I Am, the Son of God, the light of the world, the bread of life, the way, the truth, the life, that it is he who allows us to have a relationship with the Father. It's not our ability to follow the law. It's not our ability to even follow our conscience. But it is the fact that we come to faith acknowledging that it is he who overcomes the world. We believe. And even as the scripture says, and that not of ourselves, it is a gift of God. We can't even boast of our faith. Because it is the Father through the Son that has given it to us. And if he's done so, then we should live our lives as believers. That we should Forsake the teaching of the world that if you're just a good little boy or a little good, good little girl, God will be impressed. Instead of the truth that it is a relationship with the Father through the Son who draws us by his Holy Spirit. We believe because he is the Son of God. We believe because we believe his testimony. We believe because we believe the Father's testimony. We believe because we believe the Spirit's testimony. We believe because the Scriptures testify of Him. We believe because His works testify of Him. And we believe because the resurrection proves it all. We believe. And all God's people said,